Hello, I'm not going to listen to this podcast because it contains bad language, inappropriate subject matter and silly men. I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton, I'm a man I want you to enjoy this, that's the plan I'm singing along with my jingle Cause I am a massive tool Hey, hi, Adam Buxton here How you doing? Thank you so much for joining me for podcast episode number 17 uh, And you may be able to hear that I am... Not out in nature with Rosie today, but in a room. I'm actually in London. I don't know if you've ever been to London. It's huge. There's uh, a lot of opportunities around here, and I've come to snaffle some, do a bit of work. Very exciting. Streets are paved with gold here. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. Today's podcast features a conversation with comedian, actor, writer, husband, father, and podcaster Richard Herring. Now, you may know Richard as the host of Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, or Rahalestapa, as the cool kids call it, uh, on which he interviews and occasionally antagonises comedians mainly, both up-and-coming and super famous, like me. He was also part of the double act Lee and Herring with Stuart Lee, with whom he made several comedy series for the BBC in the mid to late 90s, when I used to feel quite jealous and threatened by them both. Uh, as I did by most people in comedy at the time. I'm glad to say I'm far more well-balanced and easygoing now. Richard, also far more well-balanced and easygoing, works tirelessly as a stand-up comedian. He's excellent at it and well-respected within the industry. He creates a whole new one-hour live show, more or less every year. What a maniac. And he releases them on video or DVD through... Uh, the independent distributor Go Faster Stripe, so you should investigate if you haven't already done so. He also writes a regular column for the London newspaper Metro, and he occasionally writes and does acting uh, jobs for TV. Uh, he has recorded a daily audio diary piece for over 10 years now that he puts on his SoundCloud page, warming up, he calls them. They're about five minutes long, and he just chats about whatever he's up to and every single day for over 10 years he's done it it's pretty wild actually we don't talk about that in this chat but there was a lot of other stuff to talk about i've appeared on richard's leicester square theater podcast a couple of times that is recorded in front of a live audience of course and it's quite a different sort of thing to this podcast our conversation today was less overtly comedic and nutty than one of Richard's uh, Leicester Square Theatre podcasts. This is more of a kind... Well, this is two guys just sat in a room in the front room of uh, Richard's West London house one afternoon a uh, month or so ago. And um, we chatted about various things. What did we talk about? We talked about fizzy pop addiction, uh, the weird tricks your mind can play on you when you're caring for young children, podcast sponsorship and selling out. Richard's love of creating awkward moments on stage, and, of course, life 
after the double act. A lot of my favourite subjects there. So I'm going to stop crapping on and say, here we go. doing i'm good thank you for coming around and bringing me some earl grey tea i bought you a gift which yeah was like a sort of packet of earl grey now i'm not a big tea expert or drinker no i thought i'd try and get more into tea the yeah. as, as i got older because i've got such i'm such a silly boy in so many ways yeah. you know in my tastes and just grew up liking sort of cold fizzy drinks me too yes and, and, and not just grew up then was a grown-up yeah i just drank diet coke most of my exactly. adult life that's right well pop any pop to begin with then i thought i'm getting fat so that's like drinking diet coke yeah that's right diet but coke get me any thinner and you and you sort of assumed well diet coke i mean it's there's nothing there well it's just fizzy yeah greatness and then there was a guy that I used to work... I used to work at a place called the Chicago Pizza Pie Factory. Oh, yes. Nice, yeah. And it was run by an American called Bob Payton. And Bob uh, was this big um, guy from Chicago. And he drank about three large bottles of Diet Coke a day. Yeah. And one day in his 50s, he was driving on... He was on the motorway. He had yep. a massive heart attack. Actually, that can't have been just the Diet Coke though, can it? I would say that it certainly contributed okay, though, wouldn't yeah. you think? Well, I, when we, I used to write uh, with Stuart Lee, I used to go around his house where he'd come around my house and we probably, I would get those, yeah, two litre bottles and I, we, I would comfortably drink one of, at least one of those a day. Yeah. But yeah, I think I, you know, I gave up drinking Diet Coke. I occasionally have it. No, exactly. It's no good. I've tried phases of giving various things up just to see what it would be like. Yeah. You know, like stop boozing for a while and yeah. see how that works and you know uh not unsurprisingly you feel a little bit better but not so drastically that you think oh i've got to stop boozing for the rest of my life because this is just great yeah maybe i'll get to that point but with when i gave up um diet for me it was diet pepsis when i gave up those for a while yeah. i really did notice a bit of a change yeah i think it was just starting to interfere with me in a natural yeah physical way like when you're not on them you feel well less jangly obviously yeah. without all that caffeine that's true and just a bit more energetic and even i think but then tea so i so i'm thinking tea's good for you though right is it i think it's meant to be it's got tannins in it right i think those are good because what happened with me, right, we can talk about this. I was going to talk to you about this later, sponsorship and podcasts, yeah. right? I'm, I've been seeking a sponsor for Have my Have you podcast. been sponsored by Earl Grey Tea? Is that what's happened? Well, no, okay. um, but uh, a tea manufacturer okay. did get in touch right. and say that they were interested in... I think I, I, it doesn't really matter. I can say who it is. It's Yorkshire Tea. Oh, right? yeah, well, they're good. They're, you know, I'm, I'm from Yorkshire originally, right. so I approve that. Yeah, it's a good, solid... Yeah working class product um for a good solid working class guy like me <laughs> an honest um blue collar fellow yeah and so i thought well that would be good but i'm not a tea drinker so that that would be a bit fraudulent if okay. i was just being sponsored by someone i didn't even use their product so you thought you'd start drinking tea so, so you I, could get sponsored. exactly yeah <laughs> so i went out and i got some yorkshire tea and i was like okay i'm gonna be a yorkshire tea guy now yeah 
And um, you just couldn't stomach. You tried to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's I can't right. Stomach this. <laughs> I, I love Yorkshire tea. Oh, you have to drink a bit, Adam, every time you sponsor it. Oh. If I puke, do I get less money? Uh, no, I liked it. Oh. It was great, and I thought, oh, I can. This is my new routine. I love tea. Yeah. I understand why people like tea. Um, although I did feel like I was getting that old buzz mm-hmm. off it that I used to get from Diet Pepsi. Well, it's caffeine still. Right. It's still caffeine. So and how so much I, caffeine is in a cup of... I think not as bad as, not as, bad right. as Coke, I don't think, but um, not as bad as coffee. But it, I drink green tea sometime and that's... that's but you see, like, and I, I've stopped drinking coffee in the afternoon, really, or right. after about three, because I can't sleep. So that's yeah, so, yeah. But sometimes I'll have a green tea and I'll forget that that's got caffeine in it. So and yeah. the diuretic aspect is annoying as yes, well. Yes, it because... is. It can be. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the issue. If, you, if you're working in cafes or whatever and you then either have to leave your computer to go to the toilet or take yes. your computer with you to the toilet, which is what I do, it's, quite, it's annoying if that's every 30 seconds. But, right. again, that's another old man problem that's sometimes... Now, if, I, if the seal is broken, yeah. then it's just it's basically an endless flow. <laughs> I just want to stop for a bit, and then go sit down. And go, okay, then. and just I can't. Sometimes with you know, just sometimes when I do gigs, I drink a lot of water, and then I just can't sleep for hours, or have to get up every three hours to Same go to here. It's awful. It is annoying. Never get old. I went to the doctor at one point. I mean, this was years ago, though. This was back in my diet Pepsi days, yeah. when I'd be putting away two or three cans a day, yeah, and. Uh, and I was just peeing all the time. And I'd have my last Diet Pepsi maybe 10 minutes before I went to bed. Sure. Nice little nightcap. Num, num, num. And then be surprised when I had to, you know, get up two or three times before I went to sleep. Yeah. And then wake up a couple of times in the night. I was like, this isn't right. I'm, I'm only, you know, I'm still in my 30s or something. So I go to the dock and he suggests sticking his finger up my rectum to check my prostate. Yeah. And uh, so that was great in itself. Yeah. That was worth the trip, and something that everyone supposedly should do at yeah. various regular intervals. I had a, I did that recently, and it was a young woman doctor who yeah. apologised to me for doing it. But I just felt more apologetic towards her that she had to. Do that. <laughs> I mean, that's an awful thing to have. To... <laughs> I had the thing which I think happens to a lot of people, where it appeared that I was enjoying it <laughs> from an from an outside perspective. You know what I'm saying? Even though it was a doctor that I did not find attractive. And there are male doctors that whose attentions I would relish. But this wasn't one of them, no disrespect. He's very professional and highly qualified. But you've got to have it done. Anyway, the upshot of this enjoyable investigation, it wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't, it was really... it wasn't anything to do with your prostate. No, prostate. nothing to do. And, you know, you think... And then he sort of says, are you under a lot of stress? And all he needed to say was like... Are you drinking, like, loads of Diet Pepsis, especially just before you go to bed? I'm trying to give up Fizzy Pop. I know it's no good for me, so I tried hard to stop. But I like Fizzy Pop. Cold from the shelf at the top of the great big fridge in the Fizzy Pop shop. Give me chemical prop. You watch House. I do. Well, I, I went through a period of watching a lot of it on tour. I had a, I downloaded them onto my iPad and then watched them in the back of the when I was being driven around at yeah. night. So I'd watch them kind of late at night. I've never really watched the whole one. Are they good? No. I mean, they're all right, but they're all a bit repetitive and a bit similar. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's okay, but I find it very hard to watch TV now. And it's so... Yeah, of course. We've got, we've got a few things we watch. We watch The Walking Dead. And now, do you have little Phoebe with you on your lap while you're yes. watching The Walking Dead? You know, she was born. Um, we she was seven days late, and we were. I was really hoping it was the season premiere of The Walking Dead, and I was really hoping she wouldn't arrive 
and ruined me <laughs> seeing that. Uh, she, but she actually arrived, you know, started arriving an hour after that season premiere. The you know, you can tape. I know, so. but it was still good to watch it live. And right. yeah, we have had a. I think there's going to come a point where we can't. She's one years old now, near thirteen months old. In fact, thirteen months old, uh, and uh, she is sort of aware of stuff now. And yeah understands things that I you know we haven't taught her and you'll say where's the monkey and she'll bring you the monkey and you go oh you really understand what we're saying a lot yeah. of the time now even though you can't talk so the swearing we do in front of her and the terrible programs we watch yeah it may be time to stop doing that I know it's very hard to know when the cutoff point is I mean that never stops though <laughs> right through. I think I think back about some of the things I used to say to my children or things that I expected them to understand or conversations that I had with them when they were like six or whatever. And you feel as if they're really I mean, I always felt as if they understood everything. Yeah. The, the, the look I got from my middle child when he was born was this look of to me, it seemed like utter contempt. <laughs> he just looked up at me and it was like, what? <laughs> What was the expression that he had on his face? And it's weird because sometimes the way he behaves, it's a little bit like that. Yeah. Now, and, you know, it's 10 years later or whatever. And I just thought, he understands. I know he he understands what I'm saying. And so I'd always have these conversations with them when they were way too young. Yeah. About all sorts of important stuff, thinking, well, I've got, I've got to instill this early. Yeah. But it's um, it's mainly bullshit, I think. It is, but it's fun talking to them. And I think it's good to talk to them. And I enjoy yeah. it. She does react. And she is. we sometimes properly share a joke in a, just through a look in a way that is really enjoyable. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So she'll look at me and kind of raise her eyebrows almost at something that Katie, my wife's done. Or <laughs> So she's really, I think she's tuned in. She wants to find things funny. It's, she's at a lovely stage. If everyone's laughing, she'll just start laughing as well because she wants to look like she gets yes. what's going on. Uh, but she does find proper things funny as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much enjoying that aspect. But yes, we should probably um, shield her from the horrific world. Mind you, but you know, The Walking Dead isn't... Well, it hasn't happened yet. Taking her out in Shepherd's Bush, where I live, is pretty much as dangerous. <laughs> the other day, so this is something you'll be interested in. The other day I took her out and my wife was really tired and we were kind of a bit bickery with each other. And my wife, I said, look, why don't you go home and I'll look after it. And my wife went home. So it was, and there was a lot going on in Shepherd's Bush, a lot of... You know, it's one of those days where everyone's angry and there's lots of arguments and you think it might be the full moon, but I checked and it wasn't. Uh, and when I sat in this cafe and there was... This, and I hadn't really... I'd looked around and we... And there wasn't. I thought I'd sit in a seat where no one was around. Then I suddenly had noticed in the corner it was basically a, you know, I mean, a homeless guy. I would say, with a big white beard and sitting there, you know, in his Santa. It was. He was sort of. He looked an affable and a nice homeless guy. He might not have been homeless, but he was certainly. Yeah. You know. He had the style. Yeah. It was certainly like a guy you wouldn't. You'd be sort of. I was a little thinking. Oh, should I move? Is it? Could he be crazy? And could he do something? And my daughter thought, No, you know, I'll be the bigger liberal man, and Mm. he's done nothing to so wrong. And so I was feeding Phoebe a little bit of my um, pan au chocolat and I didn't want to give her too much, but then it ran out and she wanted more and I gave her a crumb. And then this guy, re- he said, hey, 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 hey. And then he went, reached into his bag and ripped off a big thing of sort of apple Danish and gave it to me. He said, go, go. And I said, oh, no, no, no. He said, no, no, it's Italian. It's good. No, eat it. Eat. And so I was then forced in the position, do I give my tiny daughter a piece of food <laughs> given to me by a complete stranger who could be crazy, could be dirty? Uh, or yeah. and, and, or, do, or do I then offend him by not giving her any of the food yeah. and look like a horrible person because he's being nice? And <laughs> do I say? Uh, and it was a big quandary. Modern dilemma. Yeah, and uh, I decided to give my daughter a tiny little bit of the entire side bit of 
the Danish side to see that he that I was was but then why was I I was more worried about offending this guy than I was about protecting my own daughter and I knew if my wife had been around she'd have felt different but you were right to be worried because on some level you must have known that the chances of him giving you something that was going to be bad for your daughter are absolutely microscopic of course yeah and it's only our exposure to these kinds of horror stories yeah uh, that that people latch on to. Of course. So, you know, I felt... Uh, but then I did a sort of middle ground where I gave her a little bit and then kind of left the rest on the plate and then said, oh, we've got to go now. And, you know, and so it was embarrassing both. I did I did the wrong thing both ways. Uh, yeah. But also, I didn't want to give up. She gave her a massive bit of Danish, you know. But it was at... My wife heard about it. She said, well, you know. And then, I, then she found out the Danish had been in his bag and not wasn't the official produce of the coffee shop. Right. So, she, so it wasn't that she was annoyed that he'd broken the rules, but it was that, you know, he actually could have made that at home. Yeah. It was one of his... it with his own... <laughs> <laughs> his own apple filling <laughs> or whatever but it's but he, or he could just have had germs or whatever so it was, it was a really weird situation to be placed into and then the and then i saw him a couple of days later when i was with my wife and i said that's him and she said oh you should definitely not <laughs> you could have said listen i don't want the danish but could i give you a kiss <laughs> But also, I couldn't really say to him, look, I'm worried about my daughter. I don't want her to eat lots of sugary things. I'd give her right. a tiny yeah, yeah, bit yeah, of this, yeah, you know, yeah, so blah, blah, blah. There was lots of reasons not to... Or she's... Right, you could have pretended that she was intolerant. Yeah, some... could have done... And as a stranger, you shouldn't really give a... You know, you know the kind of rule. So, but also, if you're encouraged... She's too young to get that lesson, but yeah. you're saying don't take stuff from strangers. If I then take something from a stranger and give it to her, that's that's giving her a bad message. So there was a lot of... A, there was a moral maze in there. Yes, don't take stuff from strangers unless there's a chance you might offend the stranger. <laughs> the, you don't want to hurt the feelings. Don't get of into a... the car of a strange man unless he looks <laughs> mortified. He looks hurt. <laughs> Please, I just want to molest you a little bit. Come on, nobody gets into my car <laughs> anymore. But I'm so terrified about bad things happening to you, obviously, as obviously, everyone is. Obviously, yeah, but, yeah. You know, but I just, um, and I think it does with all parents, but I do a routine about it in my new show, but all the awful things that I think yeah. about. I used to have this thing when I used to carry them downstairs when, yeah. they, were, when they were tiny, you know, yeah. one or two. And I, I couldn't stop imagining just losing my footing on the stairs yeah, definitely. and tumbling down and well, just real crushing them because that could actually happen well any of those things where you cry just worry what if you have a heart attack and right. you know or just collapse and you're on your own with them all those sort of things I kind of have crazy you know in the show I talk about I had crazy crazy ones where like you know just yeah. feeding her and then going the voice in my head's going oh don't twist her head off don't mm. twist her head round it's like teetering at the edge of the precipice yes. and, and, and imagining what it would be like to step off yes but you don't actually. Obviously, your it's like your body is your mind is rehearsing it so that you don't do it. But yes. it's but it's you can't help but consider it. But mine went to the stage of sitting watching and the voice in my head talking about whether the vo- whether the people who do kill their kids have a voice in their head and they don't learn the lesson that it's meant to be an yeah. evolutionary advantage. But actually, they obey the voice. They just in go their ahead head and they're crazy. And what if you're one of those people who's crazy? And That's kill your the own scary kids? thing. What's the, one of the scary things about drugs? I guess is that yeah. you, you you're short circuiting so many of those things potentially, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, you know, drug advocates would tell me to lighten up <laughs> and no, it's fine. I once had an argument with uh, David Cross. Oh yes, um, the comedian. Oh, yeah. He uh, did some material in his set about um, a time in his life when he took heroin. I don't know if he even regularly does still, but he cert- I th- he certainly seemed to at one stage. And I asked him anyway. I-, I asked him if it was real afterwards. I was like, "Did you really take heroin?" So yeah, sure. And um, and we ended up uh, getting into a-, a weird conversation where I was kind of characterized as this Daily Mailish. <laughs> 
finger waggy. Oh, you shouldn't take heroin. And he's like, what's the problem with heroin? I was like, well, it's bad for you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's really bad, isn't it? It's like, I don't know. I grew up in the 80s. There were lots of ads about it. I think you end up stealing your mum's jewellery, don't you? And that's to say nothing of the deleterious health uh, consequences. And he's like, that's bullshit. And he said, it's fine. <laughs> and people can handle it. It's just the it's the man is uh, putting out lots of disinformation about um, no. heroin. Uh, he may have been winding me up as well. That's the other thing. And I, I doubt. I mean, you know, people who take drugs seem to enjoy them. I've never. Yeah. It's never really. I've, I, again, I, 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 it's not just having a baby. I was. I always worry too much about everything. So for take the danger aspect of drugs, even if yeah. it's like a minimal risk. I would drink though, so that's you know that's. I mean, alcohol's just as dangerous over the long term, I suppose, and sure. you can do stupid things when you're drunk. But, it's but the, I just was too scared. I knew I was worried that I'd damage my brain as much. That's as the thing. For, for me, it's the mental thing. It's that that that's what always scared me off psychedelics and stuff. Yeah. The idea that you can have a mental break in that way and just lose yourself, yeah, and never really get that back. And I think you do see people, even like drug takers, who are, are different than they used to be. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. So listen, I'm excited that we are finally closing the... Well, it's not really a circle, it's a triangle. Yeah. The podcast triangle between you. <laughs> I've been on your show. You are now on my show. You've been on Scroobius Pip's show. He's been on yours. Yeah. And I've uh, had Scroobius Pip and I've been on his as well. Yeah, yeah we have, we've all done each other's. Now we can stop. Yeah. What is it that... I mean, you still like doing them, right? I really love your podcast. You know, you know that you, I do. Thank you, yeah. And... Uh, for a while, I was very proud to be the only person that was, well, the, the only repeat guest yes. until David Mitchell ruined that. Uh, Stuart's done it as well. Stuart's done it twice. Right. Um, but I think you were the first to do it twice, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then and then David Mitchell, who I think, but you and David Mitchell, I think, are probably the proper archetypal Less Square Theatre guest. I think especially him, I have to say, because he's very... I was very jealous when uh, I heard his one. He's very... It's like, oh, he's done a better job. He's very good with the pedantry and the stupid questions yeah. and treating me like I'm a child. I, but I, what I love about that show is that it's... I think it, it morphs with whoever's uh, the guest, especially if Morph is the guest, then it's doubly <laughs> morphs. So I might try and get on. That would be a long, torturous... Just a wonder film. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, it, it, it very much depends on the guests. So I think some of them are very much dominated by the guest, and some of them the guest is 
a little bit reserved. Sometimes with the newer people, it's hard to, to get stuff out of them. Sometimes they're scared of revealing too much. So I think I'd, I'd prefer the ones where people are quite established and, and then open up. You know, even the ones I've found difficult to do or found like, you know, something weird's happened in them. They're, um... Like which of the weird? There's a there's a couple that stand out for weirdness for me. Yeah, and one of them's very recent. Ray Peacock. Yeah, but that was amazingly exciting to be part of. Though that was really interesting, and I and I made it. I was very tired. I was very tired in this whole last series. We were having difficulties with the the baby, and it was very, you know, it was getting to the end of the week, and it was very difficult to kind of stay awake and do two long podcasts. So people will probably seek out the episode yes. after they've listened to this, but if they haven't heard it yet, basically there was just two women in the front who had got had a little bit too much to drink, which was weird because it was Sunday afternoon, and uh, and got it were talking with each other as happens quite a lot of comedy gigs, thinking I think that they were whispering to each other but actually just talking they talked a lot through Ray Peacock's one and I wasn't hearing it as much as he was and then he just asked them to be quiet basically and they decided he was being sexist or that he had been sexist and they were offended by him but he hadn't he really done, hadn't he really hadn't done a thing I'd done some things they were fans of mine and I've seen them at gigs before and they're very nice people yeah and I think they just got a little bit drunk and then 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 got a bit uppity and this happens a lot at comedy gigs usually in the evening that someone who's too drunk to understand they've been beaten or that they're actually they are actually being a little bit rude or you know they they just get into that sort of entitled self-centered place where they right think, they, they cry they offense think, yeah well they think they're in the right and they think someone else has offended them and ray peacock ian boldsworth is his real name he's um very sensitive uh performer and he's going through a bit of a crisis about what whether he wants to perform and he's yeah. getting you know and He's sort of fed up of this sort of thing happening. It does happen a lot at yeah. gigs, I think, especially at uh, the kind of circuit comedy shows. Um, so he, I think it was just it came at a weird point for him, and um, but then it led on to him talking quite openly about that. It was you know it's the mo- actually the most viewed YouTube one we've done, including all of the big yeah. names we've had. Uh, I think partly because slightly annoyingly, uh, men's right meninist guys have, have used this as proof that. Feminists are all crazy. Oh dear! Okay. So they, you know, they've gone on a forum, and then lots of them have come to watch it to prove that all it proves is drunk people are stupid. It doesn't yeah. prove doesn't prove just because a woman calls sexism when there is no sexism doesn't mean that all accusations of sexism are automatically nullified. I mean, he went in pretty hard though, and he was. I was trying to listen out for the tremor in his voice because as soon as I get a whiff of confrontation yeah. in, in my. Uh, life, whether it's just my personal life or, or my professional life, if I'm on stage or whatever, I get really rattled. You know, yeah. I don't like it, and you can hear it in my voice. Yeah, but um, he was. I mean, he's he's a lot more experienced. I as think a, you just get used to. It. I mean, yeah. you, I think you just. Get, there was a, what? There's the YouTube clip of me dealing with a heckler, which is yeah. quite a long time ago now. But that literally came. It's a similar thing because it came at the end of a week where I'd done six gigs in a row, and every single one of them have had something unpleasant happen. You know, either to another act or to me, or just a lot of difficult audience interaction. And then I did this gig on a Sunday where it was it was like a sketch show and a burlesque show. It's one of those weird mixture of things. And the audience were there was a thirty minute sketch on before me, which had no jokes, and the audience were all very indulgent of it and laughing at the few jokes in it. And I thought, oh, tonight's going to be a fight. It's going to be all right at last. And then the minute I stepped on stage, this guy had suddenly tripped over to the stage where he was too drunk you know it's that thing where alcohol makes you lose all sense of everything and this guy and this guy went nuts and you can see in that you can what i think is interesting about that if you check that on youtube you can see how angry i am and and i lose at points i lose control of what i'm saying and i'm too i go in too hard yeah i shut that guy down i shut him down i shut him down i gave him opportunities to get out I gave him an opportunity to join in. I defeated him, and he kept on coming, you know. And and, and then uh, it was only taken out when he 
sort of stood up as if to attack me and then was waiting outside for me. Um, so uh, so what, did you, what did you do outside? I wasn't, but you know, weirdly, I've had lots of experience where guys have nearly fought me on stage. And I, on stage, and this is off stage, so it's slightly different, but on stage, I just feel completely protected and fine, which is wrong. But I, I feel like I'm going to be okay, and so I'm unusually brave. Yeah. And as I left this club, he was waiting outside, but I, he was so drunk. I just thought, there's no way, even if he came for me, he would miss, because he'll be seeing three of me. Yeah. So I just didn't say, I just walked past him and didn't say anything. And I knew he was too drunk. He was literally almost paralytic, you know. He's almost, I think he was leaning against the wall, if not sitting on the floor, you know. So it was... He was, was saying that he was going to stab you or yeah, something. Yeah, well, no, I, yeah, I, he said you can't joke about stabbing. Oh, yeah, that's right. You you, you mentioned stabbing, and yeah. he was like, you can't joke about that. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, I yeah. mentioned it in the terms of the Orient Express as well. I think that was that we should all kill him, and, you know, you can't, and then it's, you can't joke about stabbing. People right. out there getting stabbed life, left, right, and centre is what he said, which I should have done a joke about. The most efficient way But, yeah, so he was, you know, he just, it was, it was very bizarre. But these things happen, and so that week it had happened a lot, and I think Ray, and this thing had just had a, a week of lots of it happening. But yeah, I mean, I've been face, nose to nose with a squaddy in Aldershot. It's a gig I talk about a lot because John Oliver and uh, Andy Zaltzman were, 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 we were both doing Edinburgh previews very early on. And these people had come expecting like 20 minutes of observational comedy and got John Oliver and Andy Zaltzman talking about whatever, something bizarre. And then I was doing a show about Greek myths and the 12 tasks of Hercules. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they were, oh God, not another one. And I said, look, I'll, I, you're at the wrong show. I'll, give you, I'll happily give you my portion of the money back if you just want to leave. I don't want you... You go, no, don't judge me, mate. I'll, you know, I, I might enjoy this. And then a minute later, he walked out and I said, see, you could have had five quid back. And then he literally came right up to me, nose to nose. And I was still just, eh, you know, and then this guy's probably in the SAS or something because they're all based in Aldershot. And you're so brave in that. Well, I am in that. I feel so protected. And, you know, but he could have actually killed me. There was no one there to Yeah, I guess because him. do you think part of you is thinking this is fun i mean this is sort of a spectacle for the audience as well like if he if he pushed you it would be even more outrageous and i think even so more entertaining. And, yeah and also you're in the position where you have to be in control of the so if you show any weakness then you've lost the audience especially so you know you have to remain strong and in control yeah even if your character is out of control you still need to be in control of that out of controlness you know uh-huh. so i think there's an element where it's just like no i'm you know i'm not i'm gonna front this out I don't think you're going to hit me, but yeah, and pe- comedians get hit, and people, you know, have hit people on stage. Uh, it wasn't even being filmed, so it would have been useless to, you know, that's often a good thing now for if someone punches you, that goes viral and worldwide. Yeah. But weirdly, the, the other head, because it's weird that the other head thing was being filmed just because they were filming the night, so that did go online, and that's had more hits than anything I've ever done. That's like four million hits, I think that's had, or something. Certainly, I mean, you can go uh, um, surfing for heckle videos, and there's yeah. quite a few entertaining ones yeah. out there but uh, yeah your one is one of the classics well just because it? it goes on I don't know why no one really stopped it but they, it was entertaining and I was doing okay yeah you so wonder just... what, what, what the security <laughs> guys <laughs> yeah. doing well they arrived the minute he started standing up and going for me they arrived but yeah but so I think they also think you know that's not their it is sort of not their job it is my job to deal with that but it's tedious you know and then people think you know, like there's, it's it's interesting what people think about comedy. There was a review of like just an online review that you catch accidentally sometimes of my show, but this guy who was a comedy fan just annoyed that I didn't do any banter with the audience for the for, you know I've seen other comedians and they do thirty minutes of riffing off the audience and and I you know I just feel that's not if you're going to see a show that you're paid for I feel that's rude to you know and some people are great at it and that's part of the character or whatever but I would rather write a a 90 minute right. show that's that's all written rather than going what's your job and let's see if we get you know let's see if we get five minutes of good stuff out of this 20 minutes 
Yeah, sometimes it, you, it's like a theatrical experience. Yeah. It's like a play and you want to just, just get through it and do it as well as you can and you want to hone it and get it really slick. But I know it's people always say when things go wrong during my shows, which are uh, by by their nature quite pre-prepared because yeah. they're mainly off the laptop. They're like sort of presentations with me interacting with them. And I want them to go smoothly, you know. But there are often shows where things go wrong and there are technical breakdowns. And for me, it feels like a bad show, you know, but yeah. people always say, oh, I loved it. I loved it when it went wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's fun when it goes wrong for a little bit. But if the whole show is derailed completely Absolutely, and you yeah. can't carry on, it's, it's really bad. It happened to me once at, um, at the Tabernacle. Right. And I had a, a technical problem, which was totally insurmountable. About 10 minutes in, and I was supposed to be headlining, and I had another 40 minutes worth, oh, no. supposedly. And I realized I'm not, I, I've got nothing. Yeah. You know, and now I'm able to riff a little bit more in a live setting and, and talk to the audience a bit more. Then I really couldn't, and no. I didn't feel able to. And I just had to say, listen, I'm sorry, this is not going to happen. So, and in the spur of the moment, I said, listen, I'm really sorry. I'm going to do another gig. I'm going to find a venue and put on a free show. And if you want to come along, um, write your email address down and I'll get in touch with you and let you know where it's going to happen. But I'm afraid uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't do it, you know? Yeah. And it, it wasn't a question of refunding them the ticket because it had been, there were other acts on that yeah, night. Yeah. So they'd had an evening of entertainment. Yeah, sure. And I didn't really expect that many people to put their everyone. <laughs> yeah, of course. And then I, you know, I spent the whole day emailing all these people and trying to find a venue and doing a gig for free. And oh, it was a total <laughs> pain in the ass. And what I should have done in retrospect was just tough it out and go, well, this is the show. Things go wrong. Yeah, yeah. I'll just fool around and, and it'll be a different kind of show. And they would have been perfectly fine. Of course. I think, you know, you learn as well with time. I mean, it's difficult. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I've, I've now done performing comedy in front of audiences for like 20 well 30 years nearly 29 years uh, and I didn't you know it's only the last 10 or so that I've really started doing proper what I'd just call stand-up and even then I wasn't really you know it took me a, a few years to kind of feel confident on stage and get to that point but you do you know you just do it and then you something goes wrong and you would decide to tell you know you could but you've got so much stuff actually it's interesting like when I had Richard Bacon on the um, podcast yeah I really enjoyed that yeah one but too, he's yeah. you know he did stand-up comedy and sort of died uh, in Edinburgh uh -huh. but actually all the stories he told in that podcast were absolute gold you know that story the stories about his dad and you go actually you could do the same you know just tell some of the stories that you would that you would toss off on here and not think about and just go well I'm going to talk about this instead no I can't do yeah, this yeah I guess so, or, or ask for questions but you're very good at, at rolling off other people uh, you know so it's, it's actually just having the confidence to to do it so I came out to stand about 2005 I'd done this Hercules show and I'd taken on lots of challenges, and and I'd hated doing stand up the first time, solo stand up the first time I'd done it, and didn't feel I could do it. Uh, and and then I started doing the double act and radio and TV stuff, and so I kind of stopped doing live stuff. And so I, I thought, well, what, this is a big. Why do I hate it so much? And why now I'm essentially doing one man shows, so yeah. why can't I do this? So I sort of came back to it, and I remember seeing a gig with Reginald D Hunter, and he was a bit late, and he came in, and he was a bit drunk, uh, and uh, he just sort of came in. It was a smallish audience. He just, oh, look, I just want to talk, chat about stuff. And I think he might have even pulled up a chair and sat down. Uh -huh. And he's an amazing comedian. But it seemed to me that he just pulled an hour of material out of his ass and talked and was brilliant and funny. And you kind of go, and I, and at that stage, I was just doing a very scripted. 15, yeah. 20 minutes or working, you know, yeah. I would sometimes mess around with them, but it was very much like, oh, I must hit my jokes and hit my... And I just saw this guy talking for an hour 
and being charming and funny and so engaging. Um, you know, and it's one of those gigs you remember, and it's one of those gigs that will never be repeated. That's what I love about live comedy. You get these nights where something happens and it just becomes this experience yeah. that can never be understood from outside the room and never be repeated. And I just, you know, then I thought oh, I'd love to get to that stage, but I can't imagine I'll ever be at that stage. But then now, basically, when I do a new show, especially that's sort of how I start. I just go and talk for an hour. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, have a few stories up that I've thought about, but actually I work most of it up on stage now. If I, In fact, if I write something, I find that so difficult now to put into a stand-up show. I have to read it for a bit because I can't, I just can't remember it. If I've, if I've written it and it's written down and it's a structure. Well, it's often very jarring when you make the shift from yeah, just yeah. talking naturally to an audience to actually reciting something. Exactly. And... But, you know, eventually you are sort of reciting a script, but it still feels natural. But, yeah. but, but yeah, so that's it's just the, the the stage time I think, and you know you've obviously mainly done TV, radio stuff, yeah, but yeah. that's still hours and hours of performing. I mean, but, that you've but, done. but there's room for both approaches, though. I, I don't like it when people get prescriptive about anything really, no. and about comedy, especially when people sort of say, "Oh, comedy shouldn't be about this or it no. shouldn't be about that," and it's like, "Fuck off!" It can be that. Can't it be about everything? And yeah. There's different ways of doing it, and it's fine. There are, but I think you could, you know, in that situation, I think you could have done, delivered an excellent 30 minutes that everyone would have been delighted about. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, know, so. when I did email people <laughs> about that show at the Tabernacle, a lot of them replied and said, yeah, great, do a free show, but I had a really good night, <laughs> and it was really funny watching it go wrong. You know, yeah. I, yeah, exactly. when things ground to a halt, I asked if there was an IT person in the audience, and everyone laughed because they thought it was like a sort of, is there a doctor in the house <laughs> yeah. kind of thing? But I was like, no, I'm serious. If there's anyone who knows about IT, could they come up? <laughs> and three people came up yeah. in, in succession to try and fix this problem I had. I was using a Photoshop document and the bottom of the... And if you're familiar with Photoshop <laughs> listeners, then you will know that you have a document you're working on. In this case, it was I used to display the YouTube comments that I read out on this Photoshop document and reveal them line by line by using layers on the document. And the side tab was where you would reveal the layers, but the bottom of the tab had drifted off when I connected it to the projector. It was no longer... I could no longer reach it on yeah. the screen. It was under the screen, and I couldn't move the <laughs> cursor down to bring it back onto the screen. So I couldn't f finish the revealing these layers. I was like, how the hell do I do this? It's ridiculous. And I was like, does anyone know? This has got to be a simple problem to fix. And I was like, yeah, you zoom, zoom the thing. And it's like, I've, I've tried that, and... People shout, no, reopen, change the resolution. <laughs> and it just went on for ages. And I was like, after a while, the, to me, it sounded like the, the laughter was diminishing. And I was like, <laughs> this is not entertaining. This is bad. I bet it was. But it's, well, that is bizarre. Because I, I sometimes use a projector for very, you know, and literally just a few slides or whatever. But that oh, so often it takes yeah. three hours to set it up because the resolution's wrong or the projector doesn't recognise the computer or the projector changes what's on the computer to complete, you know, you talk it up and then suddenly it all changes on yeah. the computer. Something else. Why is no one making a simple, portable projection large projection screen I mean, just... for the comedians who the few comedians who use that <laughs> well there's more and more there are me and joe more pergo would buy one <laughs> so you don't have a sponsor on your podcast no you must have considered it yeah, I've had a few offers, but to be honest, they've not been enough money 
to justify what I think people perceive as selling out. So I think people would assume you're getting a lot more. Uh, and I think you need, a, you know, and actually I need, if someone says, here's £100,000, I would have to consider that because I can do a lot with £100,000. But if sure. someone's saying, here's £5,000, I go, well, actually, that's only really enough to film one or two episodes of the Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Uh, but if you had so, a sponsor whose product you were fine with and they were, a, they were a decent company that treated their employees well. Yeah. I, what's well, I always had a problem with advertising at all, yeah, and it, and it's softening because I also think that it, that's a very twentieth century attitude in a lot of ways. I think the truth is that art and and commerce have to go a bit hand in hand now, and and certainly on the internet, I think I do kickstart. Kickstarted the Less Square Theatre podcast filming, mm. and that last year took. I mean, we made sort of seventy or eighty thousand pounds on Kickstarter to do that. I'm trying to raise a hundred thousand pounds for as it occurs to me on Kickstarter, but I love the idea of my 150,000, 200,000 listeners, viewers giving me a pound. I mean, if they would do it every month, that would be incredibly lovely. If they would do it every year, that would still be incredibly lovely. Mm. If everyone who listened did that, and then you say, well, in return, here's you know, 50 less worth of podcasts, here's six, as it occurs to me, here's this other, you know, all this stuff, and you've paid a pound, uh, you know, or a pound a month. Mm. And that's it's not going to happen. And we'd, I'm sort of trying to do that, and people about... One or two percent of people seem to give like money, so it's still not an a, it's not an insignificant amount of money. But if you if you could if I could do it through the fans, I would love to do it. But again, I think then there's just I'm always conscious of the fact that I'm nearly fifty and time is passing by, and I would love to get stuff done. So I'd like yeah, I would be up for it if the right thing came along. And a few things have come close, and I'm considering that, that I might do voiceovers and things now, which I've always turned down before I do corporate gigs now which I always turn down before because I think if I can do a corporate gig and make a certain amount of money in an evening that frees me up to do a lot more stuff yeah exactly for the rest of the and, you know, it and there's corporate of... gigs and there's corporate gigs yeah, you yeah. know what I mean like you're yeah. not doing something for the arms trade no no well I do I, I'm quite even good. though they're very well paid and they <laughs> and they treat you really well and you get a free weapon <laughs> uh, I do well, you know I do like award ceremonies mainly which I'm quite good at which I don't think there's even whoever you're doing those for there's not really much of a problem they're kind of difficult and annoying gigs but they're because people don't listen to you but then also yeah. you're just thinking i don't care but you're at that st- I, I always remember um being at a, a, an award thing once and i won't say the name of the comedian but he was hosting quite a successful comedian and he clearly felt bad that he had agreed to do this <laughs> yeah, yeah. show and you know what it's like they the audience is kind of rowdy they're just out for a jolly and they're not really listening yeah. they're not really concentrating they just want to get pissed generally and um this comedian was getting very irritated he was like come on listen i'm talking will you shut up and then he started calling them sort of coked up suit monkeys (laughs) and getting really aggressive and i think sort of playing to himself in the crowd you know he's imagining someone like himself sort of thinking oh what's he doing sell out and so he was kind of trying to show them, yeah. like, I'm not a sellout, I'm insulting them. <laughs> I've taken their money, but I'm going to insult them. And I just thought that is, you're, you're just losing both battles. Yeah, there. yeah. You can't, if you've done it, you can't then go, oh, I'm too cool to do this. Yeah. But also, I mean, there's a fine line to tread because like the last one I did, I was there was a certain amount of people listening to me. I mean, the problem with me is some people know who I am, but most people don't. So the people who know I am are quite excited that I'm there, but that's a tiny amount of people. So I was playing to the people who were listening and I was slipping in a few, you know, jokes about the other people. I think you've got to be a little bit rude, but yeah, if you start 
trying to take the moral high ground or, you know, you can't do it. You've taken the gig. You decide whether you're going to do the gig. They're not, I wouldn't, you know, they're nice to do every now and again because you think, oh, well, that puts some money in the bank and that means I yeah. can do something else. If you had did them every night, you'd be very rich, but you'd also yeah, be, there'd a be a crushed. Yeah, there'd be a hole soul. in your soul. But yeah. I feel that with, you know, I just think, I mean, I was, we did feel so strongly about it, about adverts in the past. Um, but you know, like the other day, I was asked to act in a. I mean, it was a voice thing. I was asked to ask uh, to act the voice of uh, some flavour in some crisps. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, it's hey. one of the most challenging <laughs> roles there is. But I thought they're not asking me as Richard Herring, really. They're asking me which that... flavour, Richard. <laughs> Was it cheese and oh, just flavour in general? I think I was just yeah. the oh. wonderful. But they, they went a different. But I was considering going to do, you know, and it was. You know, they told me, you know, it was a good payday for two days' work, mm. and I figured it's a voiceover. I, you know, I could even claim it wasn't me if I wanted to. But then also, they're not. I'm not going. I'm going. Hi, I'm Rich Herring, and I yeah. love the flavour of these crisps because you will love me. And I've always said that, you know, when my friends who act in adverts, you kind of go, well, that's how you make money. You're an yeah. actor. I mean, it's and that's a- how you make. So it's it's a. I think like if you're a massive star and you're already a millionaire, and someone gives you two hundred thousand pounds to advertise some crisps, you kind of go, well, why are you doing? Why you know you're already got so yeah, much yeah. money. Why do you you know? But but then I've got lots of money, really, compared to most people. I live in a nice house, and and so you know, there's a you always look up to the next level of person sure. and go, it's those guys. Well, once you get very wealthy, Richard, <laughs> there are all kinds of un- unforeseen overheads. Well, that's what they always say. But, I, uh, but... And, you know, the second home, the third home, <laughs> uh, the nannies, the yeah, PAs. That's true. That is true. Uh, they've all got to get paid. <laughs> um, but you, I would imagine that, you know, I, I would say that a lot of your live stuff is characterised by moments where you deliberately invite a, a, a moments not exactly of tension but of discomfort yeah and you will you, you won't shy away you won't try and gloss over those and sometimes you will gleefully let the evening grind to a halt yeah. and, and concentrate on those moments yeah. right. so i guess you wouldn't do that in a in a in the corporate um well occasionally thing. but not yeah you've got to be a little bit careful with it. and, and why do you what what do you feel compelled to to create those moments or concentrate yeah. on those moments what is it about those moments that you love i think it's just there's the it's the drama i mean I, what i love about comedy is you can do all sorts of things and you can be quite serious i love yeah. i mean i love making a serious point but i i you know i think it's fun to play with you know the the emotion, it's fun to play with the tr- the real truth of what you're feeling sometimes. Yeah, so I think in your own show, you can do that. If you're really angry, sometimes you can let that out. Yeah. Um, but it's funny when you're on your podcast and you're interacting with guests, and I sometimes feel like you have the... You, you feel like you owe it to them to be honest, even when in a real-life situation, you wouldn't say some of the things you say. And the obvious one that springs to mind is Stephen Merchant. Yeah where clearly you're a fan, clearly you like the guy, and clearly you like a lot of what he's done, yeah. but not all of it. And you just felt compelled. You couldn't stop yourself. <laughs> well, I actually felt with that that he kind of took it a bit the wrong way. It was, I, think the, I think he thought... Well, he took a joke about... I did the joke, which I probably did with you, was going, what's it like uh, being in a double act when you're much better than the other right. person, but they, they go on to be more successful. Yeah, yeah. And I think he thought I was trying to get him to get into Ricky and dig up some dirt about right. Ricky. Not real, not making the connection back that, that I was also talking about myself, obviously. Yeah. Um, and Stuart. Um, and and I was sort of surprised because I, I wasn't... I mean, I, we were being rude and, and over the top and both of us coming back and forth and it was 
and it seemed to be all in jest. And I think at the end of the day, we're fine, and we've seen each other, and he's not cross about sure, it. Sure, yeah. Uh, and I think he was a little bit cross about it in, in the end. But um, I, I genuinely thought I'd be interested to know what was your motivation to change extra. I think this is the point where it started turning. The first series of extras was about one thing, and the second series of extras was like a different sitcom. And I just wondered what the motivation to change was, because there seemed to me to be mileage in them being extras and being failures, but the minute you make one of them a success or they're moving towards success, yeah. then it's a different sitcom. And so everything has to change. Yes, and, yes. But and, he felt that you were being... You were sort of needling him too I think much. he did. And yeah. then, But then I still thought he was joking a bit, so I was still... So when he was going on the bit with David Bowie's good, and I was going, oh, a bit self-indulgent. Uh, you know, I was sort of joking. Yeah. Uh, but I think he <laughs> thought I genuinely meant it. And I wasn't even saying the second series of extras wasn't was... any good. I was just asking him sure. why, why was the change. So then it, because it became like a thing, I thought, oh, well, I've got to ramp it up. But yeah, in that podcast, I mean, I, I'm sort of playing a character a little bit in the podcast, and that's diminishing a bit. And when it started, it was a, a bit like, how come you guys have all done so well and I haven't? You know, was that, yeah. there was that element to it, which was a little bit true, but also for the fun of it. But also, it's, it goes back to Collins and Herring, really. This, which what it came out of. I was doing a podcast with Andrew Collins, and I was the I was the voice in the head that you don't allow to say the things that you're thinking. Yeah, I would say it to him, and he would diffuse it. And then when that stopped, I thought that well, I wonder if I can do that with different people. So I'm still playing a character who sort of yeah. says the wrong thing, and mostly, you know. So Simon Pegg actually took a lot worse things, I think. Who I thought Simon Pegg, which we did on the same day, I thought Simon Pegg would be more lovey and more. And I so I was very critical of Run Fat Boy Run, for example. Yeah, uh, and he took it in really good stead. I thought because it was <laughs> so. But I think that's fun because they they don't get the a that you don't get people don't talk about their sort of failures as much certainly after the event, and you don't get you know you don't get someone being a little bit more honest with you. And I think most people run with it and quite like it. And I think actually a lot of the bigger we used to do it. We did a show at Montreal Festival where I kind of we interviewed some like film stars and stuff and they actually were quite refreshed I think by me asking stupid questions. I think as long as they know that you're not trying to tear them down yeah. and that you don't hate them. No, well I don't have anyone on that I don't like. And yeah. so that's I think with Stephen I just think he did think oh no he's trying to get me into an, a, a place I don't want to be. That's the which thing. What, which is what I wasn't doing and I don't know him that well but yeah. I, we knew him a bit and I thought we can have we can you know, I interview, I introduced him as a definite paedophile or something, you know, but it was just like my, I was just on, I was, I was and he took that okay, I think. But, uh, you know, I was just, you know, I can get a bit overexcited and, and you let, but you let the, the little voice take over. Yeah. And I think it's, it's most successful when that happens. I think there's a nice one in David Mitchell where he talks about doing a, a sitcom with uh, Ben Elton, the Shakespeare, oh, yeah. playing Shakespeare, yeah. and he talk, talks about it. And then I know, I was, as, as soon as, as soon as it came up, I was thinking, oh, hello. <laughs> so there's a pause and I go, is it shit? <laughs> and then, but then, so he just took it really well. And we had an interesting discussion about whether exactly. the Ben Elton's actually the Ben Elton is fair, which yeah. I sort of don't think it is even though I'm one of the prime exponents of it in many ways. But the things that work are the things... So that David Mitchell thing was an enormous risk. I could have said that and he could have gone, how dare you? Of course it isn't, and that could have ruined the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, it could have gone all or frosty. It, you know, so it's the, it's the leap, and then the audience going, oh, what's going to happen? That's the exciting thing. And, I, you know, again, it came from a very early Collins and Herring podcast, and he just sort of talked about his mum believing that the thir- number 13 was, you know, unlucky and uh-huh. stuff, and he talked about it for a bit. And then I said... 
your mum's a fucking idiot. <laughs> and there was a moment where he was shocked and then we just both laughed so much uh-huh. at the uh, absolute inappropriateness of that, obviously. And obviously you could go, <laughs> you could say, he could have gone, how dare you, she is not. Yeah, and yeah. how dare you talk about my mum. I don't like doing these podcasts. <laughs> It is a break, it's a break, it's a break in the podcast It is a bit between two other bits It's a break, it's a break, it's a break in the podcast It's like a necklace between two tits It's a musical break, it's a pause in the podcast Stopping one bit from merging with another bit Break, 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 break in the podcast Kind of like a bum crack track So we talked a little bit there about the fact that you and I have had uh, double act relationships Yes Which are difficult to negotiate in all sorts of ways <laughs> and certainly i would imagine every double act that stays together for any period of time has to go through a period where they're unless they're ant and deck i and i always <laughs> don't you like wonder about what it's like with ant and deck because they never seemed i mean as far as i'm aware yeah they don't argue they just no. get along great they've both got the same ideas about what they should be doing and how their career should go and they stick to it and yeah it's totally uncomplicated and that dynamic is uh intact it's great yeah but if you've got two intelligent people and they're working together, at some point there's going to be some friction and yeah. there's going to be some um, different ideas about what you should be doing and what's yeah. worth doing. And those are very painful moments. Yeah. And then at a certain point, maybe you both decide to go off and do your own thing. Yeah. And then you've got all the stuff of, well, it's like being in a couple and, and you break up and then it's like, watching the other person go off and snog someone more attractive or whatever. And it's very similar feelings of hurt and jealousy that yeah, you yeah. go through and comparing yourself to them and feeling like you're coming and up And other short. people telling you. Right, that's exactly. What, you know, that's yeah. what I get mainly is just other people going, oh, you must wish you were Stuart Lee or whatever, you know. So it's this. But now, I mean, you must feel now that you're that you've comfortably settled into your own areas you both occupy very distinct yes air, different areas quite opposing areas in the comedy in world <laughs> well in some ways yeah and he sort of set himself up as uh, he now seems kind of a little cranky and disconnected yeah in a way that you're really not and 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 the podcast especially underlines the fact that you're very much engaged with um new people coming up in comedy and you're still into it and interested in it yeah and a lot of the time, Stuart can sound as if he's being quite prescriptive about what comedy should be and who it should be for and who should be doing it. And do you find yourself having to sort of defend him or do you feel the urge to defend him sometimes? Never the urge to defend him. No, I, I, I know, I'm a big fan of him. I mean, I think he's sort of, it's, it's just, a, it's a weird situation. Yeah. Uh, and I think at times I've coped with it better than other times. I think, yeah, now I've come to a point where I, I think just because we would, you know, we were we worked together for so long, and we created a way of doing comedy together. Uh, and he was always doing stand up on his own, and his stand up is slightly different, but it still is connected to what we were doing. So it was weird when I then came back to stand up, and I sort of started doing stand up just as he suddenly broke through as being, you know, the best stand up in the country. And people then who maybe either didn't, well, it was more normal people who did know we'd work together would go, oh well, this routine's a bit like Stuart Lee's one. You kind of go, well, or is Stuart Lee's one a bit like? you know is it which way has it gone you know so there was no because they'd heard of him first or because he was more successful they assume that he's the the creator of something or rather than vice versa so that all that stuff's weird if you let it get you yeah and also you can yeah you can start going oh god you know why isn't stuff going well for me or why why i why don't i have a tv show or what's but i just think you know i think in the end i've really quickly realized and this is partly what this show is a little bit about i'm trying to grasp grapple with this in the show 
is that, yeah, I've realised you can't compete with other people anyway. There's pointless. You can spend your whole life doing that. I went to a, the Seinfeld gig um, a few years ago in London and they went to their after show party, which I hardly ever do. But it just, you saw these people who kind of achieved, all the other comedians who were successful and they're all looking over each other's shoulders. They're looking at me going, why are you at the party? You know, what, why are you suddenly in this, the, the secret society? And, you know, who's doing that? And nobody was, who's sitting where and who's, they were all just so jealous of each other. They were mm. unable to enjoy it. Uh, and you kind of think, well, that's, you know, you've got to look at yourself and what you're doing, what makes you happy. I guess it's different with me and Stu in that we still work in, you know, you and uh, Joe are working in quite different fields. Yes, yes. And we're both stand-up comedians. So it's, you know, it's that's difficult, especially when you're restarting a stand-up comedian for people to go, oh, you know, Stuart Lee's the best stand-up in the country. And you're automatically getting compared to them in a way nobody else would be. Um, but, you know, A, I think he deserves it and deserves to be, and, you know, I think he is a fantastic stand-up comedian. Yeah, I am doing lots of different things than he would do. I think I'm a more... Uh, I'm more versatile than he is. So I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of more different things within comedy. I think um, so. There's lots of different ways of looking at it, but it, I'm, I'm really at peace with it. I'm really glad he's on TV because it gives you hope that you can get onto TV doing something like he's doing, which I think hardly anybody else does. He's done an amazing thing to get his own TV show, and I yeah. think it was important to him. And I think it used to be important to me uh, the idea of recognition. And then I kind of realised. That I'm that by accident I'm in a position where I, I'm in a, a much happier place because I'm not struggling. I'm not thinking I want to be famous. I kind of don't want to be famous. I want to be able to take my daughter out and to, to shop and not be hassled by people and not be and not get papped by people. Um, but also I'm in a position where I'm autonomous with what I'm doing. I'm in control of everything I'm doing. So I've managed to sort of get the stand-up ethos and do it in the rest of my work, really, and I'm not working for anyone else. Yeah, exactly. At all, hardly. I write scripts occasionally, but 15 years ago, I'd have loved. I would think, oh, I'd want to get famous. I'd probably look at someone like David Mitchell and want to be David Mitchell rather than Stuart Leeds because mm-hmm. I would like to be in sitcoms and panel shows and been witty on panel shows and you know sort of be in a position where you can do what you want and be asked to act in things every now and again. I'd love to, you know, I would have. I mean, I used to be really angry that I'd never, ever won been nominated for any awards. All the Lee and Herring stuff never did, you know. All the Edinburgh shows I've done, they've never been nominated for anything, and so you know. I've, At I, least you guys got mentioned <laughs> in books about comedy occasionally, but we're often overlooked. I think you know we're probably in a similar position to Adam and Joe, but I think in that the fans of it hold it in high esteem and and think, oh God, it's you guys. But most people, I mean, we we never really complained about it because we thought, well, it's fair enough. We're not really comedians, you know. We we didn't come out of live comedy. We're, yeah. we're just sort of silly presenters in a way. You're at least still being shown on TV. I saw you on uh, London Live. Oh, the what other a day. weird! Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but you know, we never got repeated. The BBC wouldn't put. You know, we bought our own DVDs to put them out. We bought our own shows to put them out on DVD. So it's this weird thing where it feels like semi-successful but not successful. Yeah. I kind of wish it had happened a bit later for us and you know I could have appreciated it a bit more but I'm also kind of glad that it worked for both of us that we that it went wrong it's difficult like you say all those things are difficult we had very similar sense of humor but a different approach yeah and also you're just with someone all the time I I really think Stu couldn't he found me irritating but he couldn't envisage the fact that I would find him irritating as well you know he was always he sort of assumed, well, I'm normal, and then Rich is being annoying. He never understood that it was a two-way yeah, street. Yeah, of course, yeah. But, you know, but you're, you are obviously you're in each other's pockets and you're annoyed by each other. And as, as much, I had such great, great time. We had the times I've laughed the most. You know, I remember rolling around on the floor when we were writing things and, 
you know, just this is the best time ever. And yeah. there's lots of horrible times as well. And yeah, and you're still connected with each other and that's still weird. And I think just the realisation that accidentally I've ended up with something that I think is sort of better. But 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 there is an argument that you just do, you know, you however your life goes, you whatever you've got, you say, oh, this is better. I think there was a point where I worried I was my career was going to be over. But also I've been left alone. I've done 12 stand-up shows and I've, most people wouldn't have any idea I'm a stand-up, even people who like other stuff I do. You know, by being left alone, you kind of create something much more interesting and I think most good comedy comes out, you know, out of stuff like this, out of people just saying, let's do our own thing, let's let's have a go at something, see how it does. If something yeah. fails, it doesn't matter. If it's something that's successful, it doesn't matter. Um, and people start, you know, there, there are different ways of doing things until... I think you just having gone for gone on for like nearly thirty years. I mean, I've known Stu for nearly thirty years. You know, there's the ups and downs. So at university, I was seen as the performer, and I was in the review shows, and Stu was the writer and the director kind of guy. Uh, you know, and so you you're kind of aware that those things can go in patterns. That someone <laughs> in ten years' time, things might be different, but also don't waste your time worrying about that. Or someone might be better than you at something. Mm. Just do the best you can do with what you're doing. Exactly, and and have confidence that you have something to offer. You know, yeah. People don't like you saying, "Oh God, you know what? What makes you think you're funny?" Or you know, the thing is, being a comedian is you really do know whether you're funny or not because you go every night, and if people laugh, you've done well. And if they don't laugh, you're not good. Yeah. So if you're doing actually live comedy, you're you get that every day. If it's going badly, you know you're bad. But if it's going okay, you go, well, at least, I'm not saying everyone's going to find me funny, but these 200 people in this room or 150, these 200 people in this room like me enough to, you know, laugh all the way through this show. So I know that, you know, just because you don't find me funny doesn't mean I'm not funny. In fact, I can prove to you I am funny. Not mess to everyone, but here's the proof, you know. So it's a, it's a job that you can actually have a, you've got a, You've got a literal barometer. <laughs> you've got you've got a swingometer telling you if you're good or not. Really, every night. Yeah. So yeah. So it's yeah. It's, a, it's a weird one. So there we go. That's it for podcast episode number seventeen. Thanks very much indeed to Richard Herring for giving up his valuable time. Check out his website. He's got all his projects detailed there and you can contribute financially, emotionally. Lots of good stuff he's got going on. And check out my website too if you feel so moved. You'll find various posts about most of the podcast episodes thus far, accompanied occasionally by additional pictures and videos and related links. There's also details of upcoming live shows that I'm doing around the country. A lot of Bug Bowie specials. And also a few dates that I've got doing my own stuff as well. Um, I'm on a series of mixed bill shows doing 40 minutes of uh, some of my material from 2014, 2015. My laptop based ridiculousness. I'm at the Brighton Theatre Royal on Sunday the 1st of May. Birmingham Town Hall, Sunday the 8th of May. Manchester Opera House. Thursday 26th of May and the London Palladium Saturday 28th of May um, so check out my website where you should find details of those shows and uh, who else is going to be on those bills etc etc 
Thanks very much indeed to Seamus Murphy-Mitchell for production support and Matt Lamont for additional editing skills. There you go. That's enough rambling for one week. Take care. Until next time, I love you. Bye. Bye.